Hello and welcome to this special edition of Black Sheep Podcast. I am Jeffrey, your host, and HIV stops with me, Spokesmile. In this special edition of Black Sheep Podcast, I don't share my story particularly, but rather I turn the microphone to my community. It was brought to my attention that my story is not that uncommon. It is not that special. Or is it? Uncommon? It is not, absolutely. But special? It is absolutely. Just like the story of every single black and LGBTQ individual who has been born and raised in America. And not because it is uniquely different one from the other, but rather because of how we have embraced those experiences and found our authentic queer black selves and embraced that individual. As we all know, many don't even survive adolescence and take their own lives. So let this be a reminder to all of us that we're more alike than different and anyone who has made it this far has done a hell of a great job being black and LGBTQ in America. That being said, enough of my preaching. Please enjoy another not so common black LGBTQ present history story. Is this a psychological assessment? <laughs> no, no. It's just tell me what was life growing up with Don? I mean, I would say that I came from a pretty close-knit family. Um, I had a large family. Um, in terms of my father's family is really big, uh, pretty Baptist, and kind of, really, kind of religious. Um, and my mother's side of the family um, was Jewish, and they live a little bit further. So uh, the, there were five. You know, there were four, five of us growing up. Uh, my younger brother is a little bit. She's about eight years apart. So. Or at least, you know, for a good portion of that time, it was me and my younger brother. Growing up, we were, you know, pretty much always kind of around each other. And I, the biggest thing was that my parents, I think they instilled a sense of unconditional love in, in all of us. And just the, the belief and the sense that we could individually achieve anything that we wanted to achieve. Mm-hmm. That's good. And so, even though there were, I think, a lot of ups and downs in terms of my parents' marriage um, and a lot of drama, and there were clearly, you know, tensions, like with any family between uh, us as siblings, and then my younger brother came, as well as, you know, relationship issues, like probably between, you know, my mother and older brother, I would say that all in all, we were, we were just kind of a family that just kind of endured adversity and, and adapted to and I also want I, I want to know two questions where did you grow up and when did you recognize that you were black <laughs> <laughs> okay, so where did I grow where did I grow up yeah. so I grew up on basically what would be considered the upper west side in a project housing so I grew up in this project called the Frederick Douglass Project and it is actually right between like Central Park and the Columbus Avenue, so on 100th Street. It was always a pretty good area, but exactly where I lived was 
probably the only rough area in the neighborhood. And so to it now, you know, obviously there's like whole food down the block and the whole entire area and like, you know, gentrified and taken over because of Columbia uh, University. So, but I, I grew up over there. So I guess you knew pretty early on since it was the only lower income housing in the area. So you were surrounded by the, the I guess you can say the more affluent white community. Correct, so. but yeah, so the, the project area is pretty large in that vicinity. But as you walk towards like say uh, Broadway where the one train is, I, I lived a little bit closer to the B and the C train near 103rd Street. So I lived on like 100th Street Columbus, which is a really long block. Yeah. It actually doesn't even, there's no like 101, 102, 104. It's like that whole section where the where the uh, Douglas Housing Project is, there's no individual block labeled. It's just, you go from 100 basically to a giant uh, block that is really consisted of four different um, blocks. So it's, it's a pretty large radius within itself. Yeah. Um, um, once you get to, you know, Broadway, that it just becomes a totally different demographic. Yeah. Um, and that's where the, the prototypical kind of Upper West Side, just like when you go to Central Park West, um, that was pretty much where the neighborhood changes as well. Well, you have an interesting dynamic because you're in such close proximity, one with um, lots more than enough, and then did you ever feel like you didn't, you wish you weren't black? Did you ever feel that way at all? Growing up, uh, my parents made it pretty clear, particularly my mom, but both of my parents made it pretty clear that I was black. Okay. And because they, they knew that it was something that would encounter the way that the world perceives us. Um, they knew that racism was not always going to be obvious and clear, and there's a lot of subtle racism, and they also believed like, in the idea of just uh, implicit bias and, and prejudice that exists just because of your personal experiences or lack thereof with particular groups. That was something that my parents pretty much put in my mind from the time that I was really like in grade school. And I mean like early on, like as soon as I was able to, <laughs> to, to understand it, and it, that was something that was pretty much ingrained for Yeah, I'm dark skin too. So <laughs> you you know you can't it's really run away layer. from that. It's a different layer, you know, and they thought, you know, like skin privilege was obviously something that was also discussed um, as well. Um, just amongst black people um, and other minorities that was something that was discussed. I would say around yeah, seven or eight. I don't know how how well versed you are with the public education system, but growing up in school basically uh, from kindergarten, I was pretty much what you would call like track space of those. They would have kids take like IQ tests, yeah. um, essentially, you know, to determine what their individual abilities were. Um, and there, there's a lot of, I think there's, that's very problematic and there's a lot of issues with that. Uh, there's stakes that come involved. But basically, um, I took a, a test really early on when I was in pre-K to yeah. basically determine my, like, whether I could be quote unquote gifted and talented. Um, and then once I was tracking to that program, I changed the demographic of students that I was, was affiliated with because I went to this pretty diverse uh, school, mm -hmm. you know, in District 3, which is really close to where. 
yeah. level public education. So I got into this program really early on from kindergarten, basically, and the makeup of my class was overwhelmingly white, Jewish, yes. Asian, and there were only, only ever like three or four black kids in my class, maybe, you know, a couple of Latino kids. That was really it. I always stuck out. <laughs> no. I was the darkest kid in my class. Um, That's also, okay. <laughs> also, my mom made this aware to me early on that people, well, often we we would have, you know, a couple of times where we needed to uh, have EMT come, I mean, EMT come um, because like I had asthma attack or there was some kind of fire that happened in the building. So, my, you know, my mom made it very clear to me I'm going to actually store it. <laughs> that, you know, she would call the call and they would ask her her race. Oh. Uh, yeah, and she would say that she's white. <laughs> she would say she's white and they would often, uh, people would often come pretty fast. Oh. And because my mom knows that she has a voice kind of similar to mine that you can't necessarily tell what our ethnicity is yes. from listening to us talk at all. So, and that is the same thing kind of, it's really for all of us. I don't think there's maybe my younger brother, but you can't necessarily, if you hear any of us talk based off of the way that we talk through the vocabulary we're using, unless we're being explained, you can't tell, you know, what our ethnicity is or where we're from. So, Correct. Um, <laughs> growing into it, growing up, it was interesting because um, I, I recall, and this is one of the conversations that we, my mom had with us early on, I also remember uh, my mom having spoken to people on PCA on the phone. <laughs> um, and people not knowing who I was because she didn't necessarily mention uh, my name. <laughs> and, and her showing up to the PCA and the reaction <laughs> and the shock that she was black. Yeah. <laughs> um, she had a black child and how people would be, oh, I thought you were, or, or like her going on a job interview, right? And easing a job and then going, easing a job interview over the phone and then coming in and people are saying, oh, you're, you're Miss Fred, you're <laughs> as if we, as if you, and she's like, oh, what, you mean black? And, <laughs> you know, it would always, you know, pose as a shock and the, the demographics, like I said, were very interesting. I remember one time, uh, I had a classmate, a uh, pretty, you know, that was, <laughs> he was uh, Korean and his mom, his mom was an uh, immigrant in the country and she owned a store, they owned the, the, her and the husband owned a store, Yeah. but she didn't have a, a strong mm-hmm. command of the English language. Correct. But so she understood enough to be, you know, basically conversation. I remember at one of the PTA meetings, was talking, she mentioned or she started getting on, I think they started talking about violence or issues in the community and she started talking about, yeah, you know, because of those people from the project and da 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 and she started going off and my mom was like, oh, really? Because I was in the project. <laughs> and, you know, it just, it just cut right in. She was like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I didn't mean that, it's, you know, but you're different, da 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 So, it was very clear to me early on also, one thing that I reflect on a lot, and I, I think I have some, some great teachers, but also some, you know, highly precious teachers, like, they clearly were surprised, I guess, or had, had not met a lot of <laughs> black students who were performing at, at, certain level, at a certain level, or who, you know, who had the certain character that I, I did, or 
was like, oh, you're so smart. And it was almost an insult. Patronizing or insulting only because why wouldn't I, mean, I be? The other kids that were white or Asian, like no one was talking about the fact that they were super smart. Is that- I mean, it was a highly competitive program with tons of, you know, really smart kids. And, and not to say that I wasn't one of the smarter ones, but there, I mean, there were tons of kids and I wasn't the smartest. Uh, but I was pretty, you know, I was pretty smart and I was a pretty good student, but early on, but I definitely wasn't the smartest. But that was like a big, you know, deal. And people would, you know, mention it a lot. And, you know, as I reflect on it when I got older, what was that really about? Did you ask another, I'm trying to, did you ask another question? No, 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 I'm letting you flow. This is your story. This is uh, your no, time. I just wanted to, because I, I know I wanted to address that and just kind of respond. No, I think you you answered it. When he, that I thought it was. You and, knew at the oh, beginning. You asked, yes, now I remember. Okay, so you asked me if I ever regretted being black. Um, I think <laughs> in my earlier years, when I was teased about my skin complexion a lot growing up, uh, you know, that was when they had like, photos where you could easily be, you know, like the old school camera, <laughs> the camera where like the photo came out digitally right away, but it, Polaroid. It, yeah, the Polaroid, exactly. <laughs> I, don't even, I can't even remember the word, but yeah, when they had the Polaroid and I would come out overdeveloped a lot of the time, or even when there weren't, and I remember like past pictures and, you know, people making fun of my skin collection a lot, and I think being uh, dark skin and having kind of some of the experiences that I had and knowing what I was I was learning about you know history it definitely made me think twice about being black I definitely I don't think I ever wished that I was white but I, I wasn't necessarily proud of the fact that I was black if that makes sense no I, and, I completely understand and you wish you were anything that, but yeah. th- to draw attention exactly and, and I think it wasn't really until my, probably my teenage, you know, probably by, you know, high, middle of high school, where even though there were, uh, there were things in my identity that were questioning, I definitely... We're going to get to that. Don't worry. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> felt like I really loved, you know, I started to love how I looked as a person. Yeah. That's how I looked as a person. And, and you know, as I transitioned to adulthood, uh, that was something that I, I really did identify with that because there were many of times I wish I was anything but You don't want to be a uh, you don't want to be a professional athlete. If 
that's something that you want to do, because if, if that's not something that you want to do, if you don't, you know, want to play basketball, or you, or you want this career as, as a lawyer, and you want to become a judge, then you have to be a top-notch academic, and you're going to have to work twice as hard, because there's a million people with more money that are white, and they, they have more opportunities than you, and then people are going to look at them as, <laughs> uh, you know, the pinnacle of success, and it easy out so I I definitely probably had some I think I definitely didn't like that um, and that probably was probably played a role in, in me not wanting to embrace my blackness early on yes and I think that um, experience definitely made me think twice about you know and my blackness and it wasn't necessarily I think even about the racial um, comparison to other students so much as just I realized that being black encompassed so many different, <laughs> so many different elements, right. and that even like amongst our peers. Because here I was in a program, I think with, with not as, not a lot, not a ton of you know black students, but more than enough that I could relate to, get along with. Um, some that I even came from you know previous schools, and yet and still, even with you know a ton of you know black Latino kids that I got along with, and some that I grew up with. Now that your body's reacting differently, when did you first start to find interest in men like yourself? I guess subconsciously it must have it must have started happening around the same, you know, around my teenage years. Yes. Um, but it was definitely conflicted. I definitely had feelings about, you know, girls at the time. But I remember myself being um, just really worried or concerned and just thinking it would stop for quite a while. Okay. But um, when did you first act on it? So I did (laughs) not act on anything until I was 19 years old. I'm sorry, 18 years old. So all this time, you're just having whatever fantasies in our head that we have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I never did, I didn't do anything. With yeah. I mean, I would have been terrified. I mean, I was still terrified, I think, when I was 18. Well, you know, well, for you it was very early. For me it was, I think, 21. I was late bloomer. <laughs> but um, that time where, when you first acted on it, tell me, how did you feel afterwards? And um, I felt some a mix of emotions um, because I think in one way it was probably the most gratifying or exciting um, experience. But then in the other hand, it was a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, mm-hmm. a lot of worry and concern. Um, I, I think immediately when when it ended, I think the first thought that popped in my head, or even sometime during the interaction, was like, yeah, I'm gonna go to hell. Yeah, I know. You know, like, I'm gonna go to hell for this, like, I'm not supposed to be doing this, this is wrong. Yeah. So you, you went through that experience, and what were some of the things that you kind of like, that brought you to the realization that this is who I am, and no, I'm not gonna go to hell. I, just, I was built this way, I was, this is how I, God loves all things. You're not going to go to hell. Um, when, uh, that process, how was it for you? Um, I think 
remember a few, it, I, I can't remember the exact moment, but I think what it came down to really was like developing genuine connection and, and love and just understanding through, through my socialization that there were people, there were tons of other people like me. Okay. And not sexually, at least. Not, maybe not uh, with the same exact interest, maybe not with the same mindset, but there were, there were tons of people who had the same interest as me and they were, they were good people. Okay. Right? They were good people. <laughs> Common, we could talk. Um, and I, I started to realize that this is not going to be something that I stopped engaging in. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to realize that living a double life was taking a lot of, was taking a big toll on me. Yes. Uh, it was becoming too stressful. It, it is a very stressful, especially when you are afraid that your secret's going to come out. that I find so great about you it's not like you're in or out it's don't disclose it to everyone it's like I you're not ashamed of it but you don't need to announce it to the world it's your private life exactly because uh, and you know everybody has their different reasons or their different identities and I definitely I'm a person that uh, I'm a firm believer in the fact that you know I'm a firm believer in intersectionality and that people carry multiple identities and and those identities um, are prioritized by different people at different times for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, in, in terms of my identity, I'm always, I think I'm always thinking about myself as a, a black male, mm-hmm. first and foremost before anything else, just because that's what the world sees when I, when I, when I walk in the street. Yeah, I mean, that's how people have always seen me, even when I was a little, a little boy, right? And so, because my sexuality is not, I don't lead with my sexuality, I guess, because it's not always assumed. Correct. And, and because of, because of that, it's impossible, I guess, for me to navigate life with, with the thought of my sexuality first and foremost all the time. Correct. So, I, I've always went by the principle of the fact that if someone is not sleeping with me, if they're not interested in me, or if we're not potentially dating, um, we don't have certain things in common, then I don't necessarily feel the need to disclose any of that. However, if it comes up in contact or they find out, it doesn't bother me one bit, or if they ask me, you know, in the right situation or circumstance, I have no problem talking to them about it. Um, Sometimes I do feel like it's not necessarily that person's business. Because <laughs> <laughs> there are certain situations where it's like, are you just asking this to ask? Like, do you want to know because you want to sleep with me? Like, what's the, you know, what's the deal? Um, or because you just want to know. You just be nosy. Um, or, or it's just like, you clearly know because you must have some, some information. Um, but you want to confirm it with me. Why? You know, those are the, those are you know those are situations that I definitely think are better. But for me, like you said, um, I don't consider myself yeah like out or 
in because I, I definitely have no issue with my sexual. I, I don't have any issue with my sexuality at this point in my life. Or I think, well, that, I just take that back. I think we all have certain issues with our sexuality. But, <laughs> but, we do. But I, you know, I am. I do have a lot of love for myself, and I consider my sexuality to be a part of who I am. And you know, anyone that is not willing to accept that can't obviously be as, as close to me um, or can't be in my inner circle. However, when it comes down to, you know, my day-to-day living and life, it, it's just not something that's always going to constantly come up. And because I think I've always been really private about my personal life, um, there are very few people that I talk to about, like, my my personal uh, dating life even yeah. or um, and I, I'm very private in terms of my you know my sexual experiences and the, and the things that I, I do individuals that I, I just prefer to be discreet about those things and we're living in a time where I think that is almost kind of like being considered taboo at this point or <laughs> kind of I don't even want to say proof but which I, I, I'm far from that but but <laughs> But nobody has to know. Not everyone has to know every detail. I, I know. Right, and, and this is yeah, and this is where I come from. Is like I think we're living in an era which I think is great, where there's a lot of sex positivity going on. Um, I have a lot of uh, friends that um, live that live a lifestyle which is which is geared towards that sex positivity. Um, I think you know there's there's a lot of critique about like, OnlyFans and, and people. Um, working as sex workers or working, you know, working in the adult film industry, all those things. And I think those are all yeah. that people make yes. uh, and that they have the, they deal with um, the benefits, uh, the pros and the cons, you know, and the consequences that come along with that. And for me, um, I think we do in our society need to move past not being willing to talk about sex. Yeah, no. But when it, it comes to you know, but when it comes to um, my personal life, I think I'm with I'm like that with with everything. Yes, I, I know. <laughs> almost every element of my personal life. So yes, so, no. So my sexual life, even I think even a little bit more so, just because of just because of like I guess the society that that I grew up in. But you know, at the same token, um, I like you said, I'm not in. And I'm definitely, you know, I'm definitely not all in the closet. I've been, I've definitely been there. Um, <laughs> all the way out of the closet, and I, I don't, I, ne- I don't ever feel the need to go out of my way to express my my sexuality. Um, at the same token, um, I do believe there are spaces or places in, in the world where I can feel less comfortable. <laughs> um, around, you know, disclosing certain things or information about my sexuality to, to, to the public or to other people. But it is not something that I would live in fear of. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm nervous of. Like, at that, you know, that element of my life is over. Thank God. Um, <laughs> thankfully. And so I think that gives me a lot of confidence just moving forward because I know at the end of the day, you know, a couple seconds of discomfort or a couple minutes of discomfort really isn't, you know, a big deal. But I think that people know that I'm so private mm-hmm. that sometimes they just don't bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't bring certain things up. Um, and, and that is, I'm more than willing to talk about them, you know, 
life, people want want to talk about them, um, and they do so in a respectful manner. But I think a lot of times, because at least you know, for people that do know me um, or interact with me, they kind of know me to not divulge too many personal things, and the things that I do divulge personally are the things that they they talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that that was the reason why I was also very thankful and very honored that you. Just agreed to do this. <laughs> well, I didn't know that this conversation was gonna go to this. Point. <laughs> What was the dynamic when you, did you disclose to your family? Did you not disclose to your family? How did that all go? Was it easy okay. or? No, it was really difficult, even though I, I'm obviously my, my family had their suspicions for a long time. Um, it was just difficult, I think, because I didn't want, I think I just didn't want my family to like live in fear or worry or concern, extra worry or, or look at, I didn't want my family, I knew they would love me regardless. Um, I think it was more, I knew they would love me regardless and I knew they would accept me, but I was worried that their acceptance of me would be this varied version of who they thought I was based off of my sexuality. Yes. Um, and, and I worried a lot about them thinking I was this different person because of my sexuality. And that was something that I think I really struggled with, particularly because, you know, I think at that time I was still coming to terms with it. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, when when I did, you know, disclose it to my mother and it was something that I think definitely hurt her, mm -hmm. even though she knew, because it was, it was uh, like confirmed. Mm -hmm. I think it bothered her for a little while, but she, you know, obviously accepted it immediately and, and loved me. I just think it was difficult for her to process. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, it's difficult for every parent to process because... Yeah, it was just difficult for her to process. And, you know, I did not have a direct conversation with my siblings about it or with my father about it. Um, but it's known. I mean, they've, they've referenced it or they talk about it. Sometimes they talk about it in third person. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think for me, it's more, it's probably more weird for me than it is for them at this point. Yes. Um, yeah, I think it's more weird for them than it is, more weird for me than it is for them at this point. Um, but yeah, I did. I did do that. I probably never, I never, I guess part of it was because um, everybody didn't sit down in front of me in a room, you know, and it wasn't like we weren't all together at that point. We kind of like were fragmented a lot. Yeah. And so I never really saw a time where it made sense to just kind of like tell everybody all at once, you know, this is what it was. I didn't feel the need to, honestly. <laughs> you know, I felt like at that point, I'm like, y'all know what time it is, so <laughs> you either give it the program or you don't. And, you know, to this day, um, I think the larger uh, groups in my family, they might have questions or, or wonder at this point, um, but they don't bring them to me. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they're asking other, you know, asking other people. Yes. But they don't bring it to me, so I'm, I'm you know, if they bring it to me, then we can talk about it. But uh, that, to this day, that hasn't really happened. You have found your strength. You know your identity. Yeah. As a black man, as an educated black man, as a gay black man, pretty much centered yourself. You're grounded. Yeah. Even throughout this entire pandemic, um, yeah. you've maintained yourself pretty settled and known when to protect yourself. So I guess what I'm, I'm asking is, what advice would you give someone and where do you also want to see yourself? What growth? You stay on yeah. track. You're very disciplined, which is very phenomenal. It's very rare to find that in this day and age. So I just want you to give us an idea of what does Don do to get there and what are you going to do to get to that vision at 41? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> it's really admirable because it is definitely something that I'm asking myself every, you know, every so, every, every so often now. Um, because I, I do see myself as, I've always been kind of like a long-term, big vision type of person, but then, you know, it's about taking those action steps and implementing them yes. in order to make the difference. And sometimes we get stagnant, I think, in our life, or we get used to this routine and the mundane rituals that we go through and the day-to-day BS that we need to do to get by that we kind of forget about what the larger picture is or the bigger dreams that we had hoped to accomplish. So I am currently, I think, reevaluating. I'm currently evaluating. I want to say reevaluating. I'm in a constant state of evaluation in terms of what I want to do for the next five, you know, for the next five to ten years. Okay. Um, currently, I think at, at 41, I want to say that that's going to be really the, the peak of my life <laughs> um, in terms of I re- where I where I would see myself and again we always we always have these I always have these larger visions of what I want to do and I learn you know having having these big ideas of what what is I want to do and being held bent on exactly this um, can be great and it can be a driving force but it can also lead to disappointment because I've I've learned that sometimes things are just not meant to happen at the time that you thought that they were meant to happen for you. And, you know, where I am now at 32 is where I thought I'd probably be at 25. And, and I, and, and probably not, I mean, obviously in a different direction or a different career, but that is something that I thought that I would have already established. But the lessons that I've learned over the last five or six years and the, what I've done to, I think, changed my entire uh, life for the better um, and kind of take control of my life and implement changes slowly but surely um, has been a remarkable learning experience for me that I probably never would have been able to accomplish and I think I'm I'm just a much more open-minded person than I ever was I mean or I ever would have been back then yes so I mean what I'm hoping at 40 is I'm hoping that if I'm not, you know, in the same field that I'm in now, I probably still will be in the field related. Um, yeah. But I'm hoping that I will, if not, then I will have a, a personal business venture that I will be going into. Mm-hmm. Um, and will it be, commi- it may be uh, 
I know that it's, I'm probably going to be at, I think, at the pinnacle of my career um, and at that point. And then in terms of my, you know, the other aspects of my lifestyle, I hope to be making, the, you know, a final decision in terms of settling down. <laughs> um, no, and I don't mean necessarily, like, it doesn't need to be, like, uh, I don't need to be in a, a relationship or a marriage, at, you know, at 41. But... I want to, yeah, I want to feel like I'm settled and kind of know exactly what my life is going to look like when I'm, you know, 60 or retired. So that is something that I want to have set up and well in place. Um, It's definitely coming along, but, you know, the next decisions that I make, I think within the next couple of years is really going to determine that. Um, And I really hope uh, the most, the biggest thing I think I would hope is that um, my circle of friends or like they're pretty much you know like blood to me now uh, my circle or inner circle of friends is, is obviously still around alive and healthy in my family um, and I hope that I develop I hope that I've developed closer knit relationships with, with with them for advice wise you know just just like I said before in terms of making those big plans I think we we all a lot of times we have these big visions of what we want to do, um, but we don't actually implement the action steps in order to create that change. And I think we also, in your in your thirties, um, in your in your you know mid twenties, especially, um, that is is a time to definitely enjoy life. Uh, it doesn't mean to be completely reckless <laughs> and and just make you know uninformed decisions. You're going to do that at some point along the way, anyways. Correct. <laughs> but the biggest the biggest takeaway I would say that that I had from that is that we all can get stagnant sometimes. I think especially living living here, like in a, in a big city like New York City, with a fast pace of living. But we really are. In terms of our subconscious mind and in terms of our desire, we are the biggest players um, in the things that we can achieve and accomplish, um, regardless of the circumstances. If, 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 we, if you really absolutely want to change your circumstances, you can create a plan to do so, right? And that doesn't mean it's not going to be one of the most extremely difficult. It doesn't mean that it's not going to present um, significant challenges for you, but we can all do it regardless of what background that we come from. Correct. Um, and the circumstances are going to be different. And I think a lot of times we feel trapped because we're in this difficult situation or what what seems like impossible circumstances here, and we forget <laughs> how much power that we have over agency and change of our own life. Exactly. Our own life, you know, and that's that. that That's something that's very admirable about you that I've always noticed that when you have to get stuff done, you get stuff done even if you have to ask out everything else. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> everyone else. <laughs> yes. It's like, I got to get this done and no one else, you know, this is this is for me, for my personal growth. So, I mean, I want to thank you for inviting us into your life because <laughs> this is your story. I know you're very private. Once again, you were the one who inspired this whole conversation where 
It's not about my story, but I wanted to hear about my community and people like you who are doing it. You're doing it quietly on your own. You know, most progress is done in silence. <laughs> you don't hear beat. Most progress is, is obtained in silence. <laughs> Just like you told me, our stories are very common. We all go through the struggle of coming out with our identity. So thank you. I know it's very, very private part of your life and I, I you know I'm deeply honored <laughs> because thank you for having me I, I really appreciate it um, thank you for challenging me with those questions that you provided um, and um, making me answer questions that I didn't even think that I would have to answer for the rest of my life <laughs> you know um, but it's, it's, it was a great challenge and I hope if it, if it can help anyone in any way shape or form um, to relate, and that's, you know, and I think my mission, the mission has been fulfilled. Once again, please be kind to one another. We're here to learn from each other and to provide loving support to one another. Thank you for listening to Black Sheep Podcast. For more information about HIV, HIV prevention or anything related with health and wellness, please visit our website, HIVstopswithme.org. Once again, HIVstopswithme.org. Let's heal ourselves and heal each other because I refuse to believe that hurt people hurt. Hurt people can choose to heal others and in the process heal themselves. Thank you for listening to another episode of Black Sheep Podcast.